0: This sermon was delivered at Grand Avenue Baptist Church, a gospel-centered church in Ames, Iowa. Hear more sermons and learn more about Grand Avenue at
1: gabcames.org. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth and total darkness the peoples, but the Lord will shine over you and and His glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your shining brightness. Raise your eyes and look around. They all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on the hips of nursing mothers. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will tremble and rejoice because the riches of the sea will become yours and the wealth of the nations will come to you. Caravans and camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah, all of them will come from Sheba. They will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you and go up on my altar as an acceptable sacrifice. I will glorify my beautiful house. I will glorify my beautiful house. Who are those who fly like a cloud? Like doves to their shelters. Yes, the coasts and islands will wait for me with its ships of Tarshish in the lead to bring your children from far away, their silver and gold with them for the honor of the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Although I struck you in my wrath, yet I will show you show you mercy with my favor. Your city gates will always be open, they will never be shut day or night, so that the wealth of the nations may be brought into you, with their kings being led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom that will not serve you will perish, those nations will be annihilated. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, its pine, elm, and cypress together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will glorify my dwelling place." The sons of your oppressors will come and bow down to you. All who reviled you will fall face down at your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Instead of your being deserted and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you an object of eternal pride, a joy from age to age. You will nurse on the milk of nations, and nurse at the breasts of kings. You will know that I, the Lord, am your savior and redeemer the mighty one of jacob i will bring gold instead of bronze i will bring silver instead of iron bronze instead of wood and iron instead of stones i will appoint peace as your government and righteousness as your overseers violence will never again be heard of you never again be heard of in your land devastation and destruction will be gone from your borders You will call your walls salvation, and your city gates praise. The sun will no longer be your light by day, and the brightness of the moon will not shine on you. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your splendor. Your sun will no longer set, and your moon will not fade, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your sorrow will be over. All your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. They are the branch I planted, and the work of my hands, so that I may be glorified. The least will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord, I will accomplish it quickly in its time. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord can be yours forever. You
0: may be seated. Thank you, Brandon. We don't always get to read a whole chapter because usually we're doing more than one while we've been in Isaiah. Let me start this morning by saying today marks the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Uh, Fifty years ago, the Supreme Court legalized abortion in all 50 states. However, however, this year we celebrate this, that the Supreme Court overturned that decision. Uh, this past year, and um, that is a glorious thing. We thank God for that, but uh, the battle to protect the lives of the unborn and their mothers is not over. Uh, The reversal of this decision only reset things to 1973, where each state decides its own position on that. And so we still have work to do when it comes to save the lives of the unborn, and we must uh, help those. Who have had an unplanned pregnancy so they will not fall prey to those who would like to take their children uh, we must help the victims who have experienced an abortion so that uh, we can help them recover from the trauma of, of that uh, barbaric procedure so there's still work to do let's pray Almighty gracious Father we continue to pray for the end of, an, of abortion in our nation We pray for the healing of the hearts and lives of those who have been affected by this barbaric barbaric medical procedure. Uh, Father, uh, help us do our part as Christians uh, to inform and serve those who have experienced a crisis pregnancy. Father, we pray for Tamara Call as she leads Obria. Uh, We ask that you give her wisdom and as she leads her staff and her volunteers and you provide them all the medical counseling and uh, resources uh, through staff and volunteers that will help them uh, be effective in their ministry. Um, Father, we pray that you do what a mighty work through OBRIA so that uh, the lives of men and women who are uh, considering an abortion and ending the life of their baby, that they would change their mind, that they would uh, also hear the gospel while they are there and uh, come to faith in christ father also as we uh, pra- uh we uh, work through isaiah 60 this morning we we are reminded that you hold the future that you have planned a glorious future for your people so grant that we may hear and understand your holy word and that with all diligence and faith we may live uh, by faith and our savior this in this dark world cause us to live by what we know and not by what we feel or even what our circumstances are. Cause us to live for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is in His name we pray. Amen. The Apostle John writes in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. So this morning, uh, we're going to work through Isaiah's version of Revelation 21. That's what we're going to do. Uh, the similarities between these two chapters uh, are striking. Um, while Isaiah 60 uh, can point to the return of the exiles from Babylon to Jerusalem, Uh, and the rebuilding of the city, Uh, this chapter actually looks to the new Jerusalem, uh, the holy city of God at the end of of the age. So I have a one-point sermon this morning, and this is it. God glorifies Himself by making His holy city, the church, beautiful. Let me say that again. God glorifies Himself by making His holy city, comma the church, beautiful. And so I'll give you some points to help us work through the text as we go through it. Uh, But they are all unfolding this one point. And we'll make some application along the way, but our main application will be made at the end. I just want to give you those things ahead of time as we move into this text. So number one. Behold the radiance of God's holy city. Behold the radiance of God's holy city. Uh, that's in verses 1 through 5. But let's look in verses 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth and total darkness to peoples, but the Lord will shine over you and his glory will appear over you. You So God begins Isaiah 60 with what is called a double imperative in the original Hebrew language. Arise and shine are words of command. And God is commanding and he is bringing into existence in the hearts and lives of his people a uh, what they have been unable to do up to this point, and that is be a display of His glory. They haven't been able to do that. Up to this point, they have struggled to love the Lord uh, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and obey Him and love their neighbor. Now at the end, God is commanding the fullness of His glory to be displayed in His people. St. Augustine knew that God commanded obedience and that He could grant what He commanded which is why we have this wonderful prayer. It's a famous prayer. Perhaps you've heard it before. He wrote this in his uh, uh, confessions. He said, Oh, love that ever burns and will never be quenched. You command obedience. Grant what you command and command what you will. That's great. He understood what God could do in the heart of a sinner. If, you know called to be obedient. Lord, grant that for me. Make that happen in my life. Now let's see in whose hearts God is commanding obedience. And I want you to notice the pronouns here. This is where we're going. We need to see who God is talking about here. And in the original Hebrew, the pronouns you and your are feminine pronouns. Now these pronouns tell us that God is talking about something or someone very specific. And that is the church that is the bride of Christ. So the thing about Isaiah 60 is this. It opens with God, with His God's glory shining on his people. And if you read the whole thing this week, you see it culminates with God's glory shining on his people. That's what it's about. God's glory radiating and being on and shown through his people. So the bottom line, that's the bottom line of this chapter. God's glory rises like the sun. It drives the darkness away from his people and it pulls in those who are in darkness we're going to see that brothers and sisters this is the destiny of god's this is the destiny of god's people this is where he is taking us this is where we're going and it may not always feel like god's glory is shining out of us or on us uh there may be times where we lose hope and we lose our joy but God's glory never abandons His people like we sang in the song. The fact is, we live in a dark world right now. And we will experience that darkness. But that does not mean God has abandoned us. I was listening to a news podcast this week called The World and Everything in It. Perhaps you listened to that. And on Friday, they sometimes have this guy come on and do a segment called Wordplay. guy's name is George Grant. And in it, he accounted, he told about uh, what the three big dictionaries uh, did uh, as they look back this past year. They picked out the three most significant words in the English language. Here's the words they chose. Oxford Dictionary chose goblin mode. Anybody ever heard of goblin mode? Me neither. Uh, But apparently it's a popular word, and this is what it means. Uh, a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent lazy slovenly or greedy typically in a way that rejects rejects social norms or expectations nobody wants to do that in here i hope goblin mode (laughs) <laughs> Marion Webster uh, chose gaslighting. You're probably more familiar with that term, gaslighting, and it is uh, it is the practice of grossly misleading someone for one's own advantage. It is a form of psychological manipulation that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts, perceptions of reality, or memories, and it typically leads to confusion, loss of confidence, uncertainty of one's emotional or mental stability, and dependence on perpetrator. Wow. Wow. And then Collins' English Dictionary chose this word called permacrisis. Have you heard of permacrisis? I haven't heard of it either, but here's the definition of that. It's a word that describes an extended period of instability and insecurity. It depicts the smothering uh, atmosphere of unending political instability heightening global tensions over ukraine taiwan korea and yemen climate change worries persistent pandemics supply chain woes unchecked inflation and all the accompanying cost of living that's just kind of the normal news isn't it so i'm listening to the news it's a perma crisis every day you know there you go so there you got three new words but here, here's my point when you think about how these major dictionaries chose these three words that are significant and defining for 2022—they're uh, dark and negative, aren't they? They're just—they're negative words, or as George Grant said, they're gloomy. So the darkness of our vocabulary actually reflects the darkness in our world, doesn't it? It does. But for instance, this may be the condition of our world, but it doesn't have the final word. These words. Are not the final word. In the end, it is the word of God, the gospel that has the final word. Amen? Amen. Amen. And it's God's word, and more specifically, the gospel that drives out the darkness. It rises with brilliance greater than the sun and causes the darkness to flee. Now look in verses three through five. They tell us that God will call his people out of the nations and the light of the gospel will be irresistible to them. It will be like Jesus calling his disciples. And when they heard that gospel, they had to come. They wanted to obey. God created in them what was needed to be created so they would respond to the light that was given to them. Verses 3-5 through says this, Nations will come to your light and kings to your shining brightness. Raise your eyes, look around. They all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on the hips of nursing mothers. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will tremble and rejoice because the riches of the sea will become yours and the wealth of the nations will come to you. Verses three through four tell us that the light of the gospel draws people out of the darkness. And those who repent and believe, they come into, as Peter talked about, the marvelous light of Christ. Then we will look and we'll see what God is doing and we marvel. And perhaps if you look around the world today and you read reports of missions and you hear of people coming to faith in Christ, you marvel. I marvel sometimes at people responding to the gospel. Verse five tells us we become part of that building of God's holy city. So we are God's holy, holy city, and we become part of building God's holy city. We're not bystanders watching a group of guys work on a building. You ever seen guys do that? They're standing around, hoods raised on a car, and they're all looking off in there going, yeah, yeah, you, is that a ratchet you got there? Three-eighths? We're not watching. We're not standing here with our hands in our pocket and watching a guy... Put build a house we are part of what God has called us to be we're living stones in that wall of salvation we are a city set on a hill the radiance of God's people draws those in darkness from all across the globe into his marvelous light and this is the future of God's city this is happening now now it's not totally fulfilled yet but it's happening now it is a gathering of nations into the embrace of god's people as they are saved by the light of the gospel it is the future reality of winning the nations to christ and the work that he did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead as they're drawn to that light And our task is until that day comes to be a local body of Christ that faithfully preaches the gospel and calls people out of the darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. Number two, we will behold the beauty of God's holy city. The beauty of God's holy city. And this is in verses six through nine. And six through nine continue to unpack this idea of the nations coming out of the darkness, but this time we see how the God, how God makes them beautiful. Listen to verses. I'm just going to read six, verse six and verse nine. Listen to it. Caravans of camels will cover your land, and young camels of Midian and Ephah, all of them will come from Sheba. They will carry gold and frankincense to proclaim the praises of the Lord. Now you're probably not thinking of caravans of camels covering the land being the wealth, right? <laughs> or being beauty. <laughs> uh, but this is what's going on. And verse 9 says, The coastless, coast and inlands will wait for me with ships of Tarshish and Lead to bring your children from far away, their silver and their gold, with them for the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. So here's what's happening in these verses. Again, the good news of the gospel is proclaimed. Those trapped in darkness are drawn into the light of the gospel. People who repent and trust Christ as their Lord and Savior are drawn out and begin to worship Christ. See, this language that we're reading in these verses, in verses 6 through 9, this is figurative language. Because the building material of God's holy city, it's not brick, mortar, gold, precious wood, but it is people who have been redeemed. The Apostle Peter says it this way in, chapter, uh, in 1 Peter 2 4 and 5. He says that we're living stones. He says, as you come to him, a living stone uh, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to, to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So as the nations begin to worship, those from every tribe and tongue exalt the name of Christ. And in this act of redemption... God builds his holy city one living stone at a time. And it is beautiful. It is a beautiful spiritual house that God builds. And it cries out praises to the Lord. So the application here is obvious for us, right? Worship Jesus worship Jesus in all his glory from his perfect sinless life of suffering on the cross to his glorious resurrection from the dead. Worship our Savior who gave his life as a ransom for our sin. And that's what we're called to do. Number three, behold the wealth of God's holy city. In verses 10 through 16, we behold the wealth of God's holy city. And so, Verses 6 through 6, 10 or 16 tell us how God's holy city is not only beautiful, but it is also filled with riches. And the passage sounds like it may be referring to the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the exiles had returned home from Babylon, but this is not the case. You see, verse 10 refers to foreigners rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. However, verse 10 is not referring to the return of those Jewish exiles because it wasn't foreigners that rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem when they came home from Babylon. The Jews did that themselves. So this is not referring to that moment in history. This is referring to the end of time. This, it, it's somewhat referring to what we're in now, but it is talking about the fullness of that time when Christ comes back and the city of God is in its fullness rebuilt. That's what this is referring to. And verse 10 is referring to the wealth of the new Jerusalem. It is the city the apostle John wrote about in Revelation 21. So let's listen to John's account of the wealth of materials that he saw in the rebuilding of the new Jerusalem. He's, in verse 18, he says this, the building material of its wall was jasper and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. And I, I can't even get my mind around pure gold, clear glass. I don't, I don't even know what that would look like. And then verse three, 23 says this, The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day, and, and because it will never be night there." So when we get to this point in the text, it may challenge you. Uh, you may even have objections because the church does not even come close to resembling what this, what this looks like in these two passages. I mean, Isaiah and 60 and Revelation 21, uh, <laughs> you look around the church, it, it, looks, it actually looks kind of broken. So friends, don't be fooled or discouraged by the imperfections in the current state of the church. God does not look on the outside. He looks on the inside. He looks at the hearts of his people. God's church is not currently what it will become. It's being built by his Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel. And God magnifies his own greatness in the ordinary worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what he does. And so here's the good news. Eventually, we, His church, His Holy Bride, will fully become who God says we are. We will. And that day is coming, and those who love the Lord Jesus would be a part of that city. But right now, we're not quite there. However, we resemble verse 11 in this In in Isaiah 60, we are the holy city whose gates are never shut. Why? Because the gospel is always being proclaimed by Christ's churches. The gates are open. The way to come to to get into heaven, the way to know God is to come through Christ, his door. Come through him. As churches proclaim the gospel, the gates around the world stay open to those who will believe. The gates are never closed. The doors are never closed. As verse 12 says, those who reject the light of the gospel of Jesus, but they will perish. So there's that warning that is continually there that one should never reject the message of the gospel. It says they will know annihilation, but the annihilation that the Bible talks about is eternity in hell. It's not just not exist, never existing, being wiped off and nothing happens. It, that's... That's incorrect if you think annihilationism is right. It's eternity in hell. That's the kind of annihilation. It is eternal annihilation. You never die and the flames never leave. So that's a warning to not reject the gospel. And so because the glory of that age is coming, and because the horrors of hell are so horrible, we proclaim the gospel to those who have yet to believe. So that they will trust in Christ, we hold that out to them. Then the last point is this: Behold the righteousness of God's holy city, in verses 17 through 22. Behold the righteousness of God's holy city. And so these verses describe how God describe how God will make His people great. He will make His people great, and these verses describe the final condition. Or the final shape or the final, what, what the structure will look like at the end of time. You see, God only has good plan for his people. He, he has the best plan for his people. Verse, 10, verse 17 says, "It will be filled with gold." instead of bronze, silver instead of iron, bronze instead of wood, iron instead of stones. This is figurative language that describes the last part of verses seventeen and all of verse eighteen. It says, where the holy city will be filled with peace and righteousness, and gone is violence and devastation and destruction. That's that's how great things will be. All of those things will be gone. And only the good things will be in the city, the best things. And notice the walls of this city are called salvation. And the wall of salvation was built by the sacrifice of the sinless son of God who saves his people and makes us living stones and puts us in that wall that sing praises to the king. This, this wall is precious beyond all measure. And then in verses 19 through through 22, they tell us that God's city, there's no need for sun or moon because the Lord will be their everlasting light. And there will be no more sorrow, no more pain. Those days will be over. There will be no more struggle with sin because God's people will be righteous. They will be perfected. They will be glorified. That's our final state. God's people from every tribe and tongue will have been grafted into the branch of Christ that God had planted. And God is glorified in that. So honestly, it's hard for us to get our minds around that, isn't it? It's hard. Hard for us to think about what life in God's holy city, in His holy city, we are His holy city, we are the bride of Christ. It's hard for us to even state what this will be. I mean, earthly language, words just fall short, don't they? And it may be hard for us to believe, but this is what will happen. And, and it's, it's hard to believe because right now the world we live in is, is dark and it's wicked and it seems so unredeemable. Yet it will happen. And in this age, we have a taste of that age to come. Because God's given us his gospel. And this taste of heaven causes us to wait and hope for this fulfillment. And until it is fully and finally fulfilled, we've got to be like Abraham, right? Abraham believed God's promise and he did not waver. Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 4? 20 and 21, it says, he, talking about Abraham, did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that God that what God had promised he was able to do. See, God had promised that he was going to give him a son in his old age, and he's over 100. How's that going to happen? His wife is almost 100. How, how's that going to happen? He, he, he struggled a bit. But he he didn't wait. He didn't abandon believing that promise. We must be like Abraham. Be fully convinced that God is able to do what He is going to do. Here's the million dollar question, right? How do we wait in faith when life seems so hard and the world seems so dark? How do we live in this period of of who God says we are and what we will become, but we're not there yet. How do we live in that world? What we call the struggle in this period living in the already and the not yet. Have you heard that phrase before? The already and the not yet. How do we live in this in-between time? So Here's the struggle. There is a gap between what we know and what we feel. There is a gap between what we know and what we feel. And in other words, I know the church is God's holy bride, and I'm a part of that, but it feels like it's in bad shape, brother, and it's not going to survive. So what do we do with our feelings about the church? And and if you've been hurt in church, then you know what I'm talking about firsthand because the church should be where we go for healing, not to be hurt. The, The church should be where we go to be built up not torn down so when we read a glorious text like this about the church and it doesn't match our experience what do we do with that how do we keep going how do we bridge the gap between what god says is true about us and what we feel is true about us here's the key meditation meditation i said meditation not medication right <laughs> meditation here is an equation to help us in our struggle no meditate do no meditate do psalm 19:14 says may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you lord my rock and my redeemer We need to meditate on what we know to be true. But here is where the struggle comes and where we often fall short. We often are better at rehearsing the hurt. We rehearse the pain. We rehearse how others have let us down, don't we? We're better at that, aren't we? We, we focus on our hurts, our anger, our disappointments, and even our shortcomings of church. In other words, we're, we're only noticing the bumps, the warts, the bruises, the scars, and the sins of the church. We meditate on the wrong things. I mean, okay, we can look at it and go, this is, this is real. This is a real experience. I'm not saying that. But we can focus on that and we meditate on that instead of meditating on what God says. Because I'm a realist. I know the, full, the, the current state of the church. I mean, we're, we're sinners, right? We're sinners. but God wants us to live by faith in His promise. But here's the problem. The world tells us that our faith is really a fantasy. And our faith is not a fantasy. Believing in God's promises is not fantasy. That's doing what Abraham did in believing God. Friends, when Abraham believed God, he was not living in a fantasy world. He believed that God would do what he said he was going to do even when Abraham was old. Abraham acted on what he knew was true. He lived in the real world. He meditated on the promise of God. He struggled because he wanted to meditate on God's delay. He wanted to focus on what he felt like was a God's shortfall, but it was not true. He was tempted to stumble, but he learned to trust God and not waver. See, living by faith in this dark world means knowing what is true from God's word and meditating on the truth, rehearsing the truth in your heart and mind, and then acting on that. Meditate, no, meditate, do. No, meditate. Meditate, do. Pastor Ray Ortland Jr. closes his chapter on the study of Isaiah 60 by saying this The gospel is God drawing back the veil, revealing his strong promises, and saying to us, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Do not cower in fear as if the future held nothing, f- nothing for you but death. Believe the gospel swallow it whole (laughs) what does it mean to swallow it whole it means to meditate on it it means to let it become part of your body just like food you eat and it nourishes your body you meditate on it you marinate on it and you will grow strong as you give glory to god and that's a good word from him let's pray